Show on Cape Talk, your number one news and talk station. Welcome to The Money Show. Um, I'm Bruce Whitfield and it's time for Shapeshifters, The Money Show brought to you by the Old Mutual Investment Group. Do great things. Nice to have you with us this evening. Sipo Maseko is our shapeshifter this evening. He's the chief executive of the best-performing JSE company of 2014. The share price of Telcom rocketed 150% last year. But it was a year filled with excitement, and we'll get on to some of that excitement, trials, tribulations, and a near-death experience as well. It's delightful to have him here. There's very little in the public domain about Sipo Maseko. Why are you such a private, secretive guy? Well, I'm, I'm not sure whether I'm secretive, but I'm, I'm pretty private. Um, the only other thing that I'm public about is the team that I support. So, Which is? Well, they're playing now. There we go. <laughs> there they are. Um, you're a Pirates fan. Yeah. You're a Pirates fan. I mean, there's, there's, there's lots to forgive this evening, so we're going to go through it in detail. <laughs> Where you born? So I was born many years ago. I'm 46 this year. Actually. You know what? Forgive me. I thought you were older, but maybe it's because you've had such a successful <laughs> career. But only 46. Well, I'm 46 yeah. and um, born back in 68, uh, born at an old place called Lady Selborne. Where's that? Uh, so Lady Selborne was just slightly north of Pretoria. The people were moved there. It almost was like your, your Sophia town in, of Pretoria at the time um, and kind of lived everywhere uh, after that. Kind of lived everywhere. That's, yeah. You see, I told you you were secretive. So what do you mean by kind of lived everywhere? Well, I mean, I went to school in a whole lot of different places. And, uh, you know, I went to high school, for instance, in, in Natal. Uh, I was a political activist at the time mm. uh, with with a black consciousness movement because that's really my political background. With Steve Beaker, the year of Steve Beaker. Yeah, I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. So grew up in that organization um, and was part of the student leadership uh, of Azapo. Um, okay. For a very long time. Okay. Yeah. Um, Mom and dad, what do they do? Well, the old man has since passed on mm-hmm. a little while ago. My mother is actually just about to retire in about a month. She works at the American Embassy. Okay. Yeah, she works at the American Embassy. I spent Monday with her with financial advisors and helping her to, <laughs> to, get, to get a soft landing. No, absolutely. So I took a day off on Monday. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. sometimes you have to hope you filled in a leave form. <laughs> um, what was your first job? Well, my first job, actually, I trained as a lawyer. Now, where, uh, where, where do you study? Because now you're, I, in the, you're in the Azapo Students League. Yeah. This is at school. Do you so, follow that through into university? So, followed right through to university, um, studied at Vets, did my junior degree there, my second degree. Mid, at, so you're mid-80s towards yeah, mid, 90s. Yeah, to, uh, mid-80s, mid late-80s, um, very active then. Well, it's a highly politicized time. Very highly year. politicized time, and, and also not just in terms of um, in, in, in the country, but also the, the student politics was very turbocharged and, and there were a lot of issues at the time. If you recall, around 1988, from 85 to 88, it was pretty, pretty difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there were also political tensions between ourselves and the Black Consciousness Movement and the, and the Charterist Movement at the time represented by the UDF and the ANC. Uh, but all in all, actually, we were all in the struggle. Uh, so there was a, a solidarity of organizations at the time, despite the fact that there were ideological differences. Um, you, come, you come through that. You study as a lawyer. Do you ever practice as a lawyer? No, I did for a short while, actually. I worked at Worksman's Attorneys, uh, but I wasn't a good enough lawyer. So uh, <laughs> Did you find it boring? 
Well, no, not really. I think I think there were you know chaps that I work with who were a lot more cut out for it than than I would have been. Um, I mean, it was a great law firm. Then they were still in Parktown, um, and then went on to work at the Financial Services Board uh, because I had. A kind of love affair with with financial services. I, I, I kind of liked financial instruments, worked in the financial markets department. Um, in fact, it was around the time when straight was being introduced. That's 15 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Mm. and uh, slightly more, slightly more. Um, so worked with the JSE people at the time and Monica Singer was there. Mm. I was part of the project team that was involved in the, in the straight process. And it was also around the same time that the first agricultural derivative instrument was introduced, wheat. Yeah. Uh, so I was in the team as well. And then um, got recruited by BP um, around 96, 97. Um, was that to run BP as early as that? No, 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 to... just to work in the legal and tax department at the time. How do you rise up to run BP South Africa then? Well, I mean, a bit of luck, number one, uh, a bit of good sponsorship. Um, and I suppose BP being the organization that it is, um, I mean, uh, it's probably about 130, 140 years old, very well evolved leadership model, very well evolved uh, programs of development. And also, I, w- I was very lucky to work for some of the people that I worked for who, who supported me a lot, who gave me a lot of trouble. Uh, <laughs> but also, they gave me the big break. So, so in life, sometimes you need that. Um, I was chatting with a recent shapeshifter, Santi Buerta. Yeah. She's on your She's Chelsea on our board. board, yeah. Talking about mentors and yeah. people who are helpful in our careers. The only person I've ever spoken to who told me he never had a mentor yeah. was Russell Loebscher, who ran the JSE. <laughs> no, I had a few. He looked, he looked at me as if I was completely stupid when I asked the question. But everybody's got people they look up to sure. who give them a guiding hand. He said, no, nobody. Yeah. Um, I had a few. I mean, politically, um, Muntu Mieza was my, my mentor. Um, he had just come back from Robben Island, and he really took a big liking for me in Azapo, and so did I. Um, when I was at BP, a few people played a big role in my life. Fred Paswana was one. Yeah. Uh, he, he's chairman of, of Standard Bank. He's now, chairman he's, of Standard Bank mm-hmm. now. I saw him at the gym recently. And he also he worked for BP in Europe, didn't he? He worked for BP in the Benelux. He actually yeah. ran uh, the Benelux region. Uh, Richard Finberg. Uh, I actually worked directly for him for a very long time. Um, you know, very deeply strategic and very challenging. And he he sponsored me well. Stephen Beasley. He now sits on the board of uh, Tonga Tulet. Okay. So so all of those people played a different. A part in really making sure that I, you know, you do what you need to do. Do you occasionally pick up the phone to them? Yeah, 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 I do. I mean, I, I, you know, hang out from time to time with people like Richard and and Fred. Um, I can get vulnerable with them as well. So, so, be, so being a, a CEO is a lonely job, isn't it? Yeah, it can, it, be. it can be. It can be a lonely job. Uh, it can be a lonely job. But at the same time, you need to, you know, I still love to do the things that I've always done. You know, I've, I visit my parents. I hang out with my friends. Um, we talk very little about the work that I do. We talk about the things that we love. Whether do people complain to you about telco? A lot, actually. <laughs> I've, just, I've just been in a meeting with, uh, you know, a chairman of a company now. And before mm-hmm. he left, he gave me a you know, a small note to say, my mother's phone is not working, <laughs> so please sort it out. And uh, I think it's been sorted out already. Okay. Yeah. Um, when you, you you left BP, yeah. you went quiet for a bit. You then joined Vodacom yeah. for not very long. For not, for not long. A great company um, and uh, worked with a lot of 
a lot of good people, uh, but also there was a bit of a fit issue. Um, but but I mean, it's a company I admire and respect. Actually, it's a it's a mean machine and and Shamil and before that Peter Peter Ace they they, mm. they ran a tight ship. Um, and then I moved on probably after about eleven months or so. Mm. Yeah. How did the, the the telecom offer happen? Well, the telecom of, I mean, after I left Vodacom, I took some time out. Um, and I also started to do the things I, I never got a chance to do, you know, so I could, I could go to the school concert at 10 o'clock in the morning. So things that I really missed. Um, I spent a lot of time with, with my family and friends. Um, I could attend Lobola events, things that I never got a chance to do without having to rush for a flight. So, yeah. so, so it really just helped to anchor me and, and connected me back with, with family and friends in a way that I had not connected in a very long time. So, so that was a, it was probably the best time of my life. Um, and then the telecom role became available. It was advertised. And um, I kind of thought, you know, should I, shouldn't I, should I, shouldn't I? Why would anybody take a job that had eaten and spat out five <laughs> or six of the last chief executives in very quick succession? The last person who held on to that job for any length of time was Cesar Klasana. Uh, and he left while the going was still relatively good and, and, and settled at first round. Sure. One of the people I did speak to actually was Cesar. Mm-hmm. Um, just around whether is it a role that one can do? What are the issues? What is the culture? And he actually gave very good guidance and advice, uh, both in terms of one's relationship with the board, one's relationship with, with policymakers, uh, one's relationship with your team. So, so I found him pretty, pretty measured and, and very good advice. And I think he's, it's probably one of the reasons I took the role. I mean, other than the fact that Jabu was very persuasive. In fact, Jabu, I, Jabu is Jabu Mabuza, ex-taxi driver, most yeah. famous for that, also happens to be the chairman of Telcom. He never gave me a choice, actually. He sort of <laughs> said, uh, well, you know, uh, if you apply, I'll interview you. And uh, in the, the panel was uh, made up of about five people. Jabu was one of them. Santi Bota was one of them. Uh, Itumelen Kaboisele was one of them. Kanyisile Guayama was one of them. And Bram Duplessis, Bram has since retired from the board. So it was a very tough panel, actually. Uh, But I enjoyed it. We had a a good conversation. They they asked me a lot of stuff about what do I think needs to be done. And my answers were kind of, I don't know, you know, because I've never really deeply looked at telecom. Mm Um, but actually, the the opportunity was presented to me, and uh, I was pretty anxious about it. Sipo Maseko, Chief Executive of Telcom, is our shapeshifter. He's been in the job for less than two years. The share price is up multiple times. You've been given considerable free reign. Um, I've had Jabu Mabuza in the, in the studio. I said to him, why did you take the chairmanship uh, role at uh, Telcom? He said, because I was told I'd be left alone to do what I needed to do. And one of those jobs was to hire you, and yeah. you seem to be left alone to do what you need to do. Sure, I mean, I would say so. I'm not sure whether Jabu Mabuza leaves me alone. I mean, he's a hard taskmaster. <laughs> um, no, actually, I think that what we try to do is to change the dynamic mm. uh, of the relationship uh, between ourselves, for instance, and the regulator. One of the first uh, entities I met was ICASA itself to say, guys, we don't want to have an adversarial relationship with you. We want to have a much more consensus-seeking way of, of working together. We, we're taking each other to court quite a lot. Um, and I sort of said, I, I, I want to create a new dynamic where I see you at least once a quarter myself uh, with the team. We have substantive conversations about what it is that we are thinking about. And I hope that kind of contributed in easing out the tension. And we did that not just with, with 
them, but also with the po- with government itself, with the policymaker, to say, let's have a different dialogue here, mm. because then it helps us uh, deal with whatever issues that may be there. So, but we haven't been interfered with. Um, you seem to have had a dream team in place, um, and then last year Jacques Schindhutter, um got into a spot of bother. There were lots of allegations that it had been a personal issue, sure. that there was a conflict of interest on a personal matter, um, that it was to do with a six million rand loan, and there was a timing of share purchases just sure. before a trading update, uh, and it all got very, very messy. Yeah. He eventually went through half a disciplinary process and then yeah. quit. Yeah. Um, just like, you know what, it's, it's humiliating enough, yeah. Yeah. And, and he moved on. You then went on a corporate governance course. Yeah. Um, did you find that quite embarrassing, humiliating? Was well, I mean, a bit of, firstly, I found the course itself very, very good. Was know. it run by the Institute of Directors? No, no, it was actually run by KPMG. Okay. So we got an external party to come and run it for us. So the course itself was very, very good, actually. Um, even without the instruction by the company's office, it's something that myself and my team would have liked to do. Yeah. Um, I think the facilitation was fantastic. Um, I mean, just kind of going back a bit, I think the most difficult thing was when we had to suspend Jacques. The first person I met, actually, when I arrived at Telcom was Jacques, and him and mm. I worked very well together. Um, a talented he, guy. Yeah, a talented guy, good energy, um, strong personality, uh, gets things very quickly, very experienced. Um, and it was very unfortunate that it kind of ended the way that it did. All right? mm. I don't think that it's something that he personally desired, no, 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 I personally desired. Uh, and the same for the board, actually, because it was not even my decision. It was a board decision yeah. uh, that uh, was taken. But at some point, we then realized that Jacques has to move on. We have to move on. There's a lot more for us to do and worry about. And uh, luckily, it's been quite ever since. Yeah. No, no the, 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 it was sort of, Dealt with uh, yeah. and 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 slipped under the carpet. Yeah. What happened with cloned number plates? You were accused of driving a Range Rover with cloned number plates, running up thirty thousand rands worth of uh, of traffic fines, and the no. allegations sort of hung in the air yeah. and then died. But the the smell still remains. Yeah, I mean it's a it is a bit of a funny smell. So two things. Firstly. I never sold my car to anyone but to a dealer at a garage when I bought my car. Um, I personalized my number plates, which is the car that I still have. No one, no official has ever been to me to say that there's an issue uh, for us to deal with. And it's been the trickiest thing because uh, you kind of get hit by media allegations. Mm-hmm. Um, you avoid then to even approach those people because you'd be seen as interfering in a process. But, but, but what what actually happened? I mean, did you have number? Did you have number plates? Well, I had a car that I sold, which had yeah. number plates, and then I bought a new car and I inverted the number plates. In essence, okay, yeah, and and that was it. Okay, so have you have you paid the fines? No, nobody has actually given me the fact that I have a oh, okay. a bill. Yeah, so. Nobody. In fact, the only other encounter with with the Johannesburg Traffic Police is that um, one of the days uh, I get a call from home that there's about five uh, traffic police cars. There's about 12 guys. They're looking for me. So I call them. I say, guys, I'm not in town. I'm coming back later tonight. But tomorrow at 12 o'clock, I'll be home. I'm working in Johannesburg. I'll finish early. The following day at five o'clock in the morning, about six police cars arrive A traffic police. And uh, about 12 guys. They could have been doing pointsman duty at broken traffic. Yeah, and I I mean, I I felt like I killed somebody. All right. I felt like I've done something absolutely horrible. And um, but up until now, there hasn't been an issue. And also, I've sought not to want to make it an issue. Mm. Yeah.
Service levels, telecom, lots of comments on my Twitter feed today. Hashtag Maseko, talking about ADSL lines not getting repaired. Response times, call center, diabolical. Somebody tweeted a picture of a Nokia cell phone with a holding time of 30 minutes, 38 seconds earlier today. They're problems. No, indeed. I mean, one of the things that from the very onset, uh, I was, and, and, and not just myself and the rest of the team, were very clear that the... The, the transformation journey at Telcom will be very long and difficult. Um, the customer experience issues are very deep uh, in Telcom, and, and some of it unavoidably so. Telcom is 130 years old, uh, Bruce, we've, and for the 110 years, we've never had to compete with anyone. So if you wanted a telephone line, you came to us, we probably slept you around a little bit and then gave you a line. Um, then mobile gets introduced that's when competition begins but actually our processes are not adapted for that our systems are not adapted for that and even some of our people are not ready for that so 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 i think now what we are trying to do is to really invest quite a lot in changing not just how we are perceived by customers but actually the systemic issues my station manager says and just as sms me i was on hold for 55 minutes with telcom yesterday (laughs) how do you even begin to fix that well, I mean, so a number of things. So firstly, we have uh, legacy billing systems. All right. Uh, I mean, I, I sometimes go to the call center uh, or actually call it myself. I told Brian this morning, one of my colleagues, I called actually the mobile call center. I, wait, I held for 46 seconds. Okay. And then I said, well, why is it that the yeah. mobile call center, you can only you hold for about not less than a minute, but on the fixed side, you hold for almost an hour. There's a number of things. Firstly, we have very old legacy uh, uh, IT platform. Uh, We probably have call centers spread around the country. Uh, They're not integrated. Mm. So when the call center that is in Bloemfontein is free and the call center that is in Johannesburg is busy, uh, we'd never had an automatic routing of those calls to some of the under under, uh, capacity call centers. So there's quite a lot of things. But the most important thing is that we are are now, we've started on the journey to fix that, actually. How long is the journey? Is it walking from here to Cape Town? It, it is. It is. Flying? It is going to. It is going to be a long journey. I mean, uh-huh. we we're trying to move at the speed of light to to achieve this uh, systems and transforming our systems platform. Are you going to buy Cell C? I see they've hired Goldman Sachs to uh, advise them on uh, selling themselves. Are you interested? Well, um, I mean, I would want to consider all options on the table. And, um, you know, Celsi, I think they're, they're doing quite well. And if they are formally on the market, you know, depending on uh, what need, they're going you for. You need an avenue into the cell phone space. <laughs> they're up for sale. Are you interested? Well, if the price is right and the proposition is right, we can look. You're talking, aren't you? Uh, no, we're not. Okay. So otherwise you'd have to issue a cautionary. <laughs> John and Santon, whose interests do you prioritize, government or private shareholders? Well, I mean, I, all, all shareholders, okay, all shareholders. So we have shareholders that are very small and retail shareholders, essentially, and also big shareholders. We try to make an effort to meet all of our shareholders, balance the interest of all shareholders. And Jabu and myself are on record that actually there is no one shareholder who ranks above any other shareholder. And that's what we try to do every day. Now, how's your health? Last year, you went in for a, a simple operation. You nearly died. On the operator, well, just yeah. uh, in the recovery room, you 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 were you had a serious bleeding issue. Sure. Is everything all right? Yeah, I'm I'm fit as a fiddle. I think um, I've been a bit lazy these days, not training enough. But indeed, last year I had a bit of a scare. I went in for a minor minor. A procedure, uh, removing my polyps, and then I kind of overbled, choked in my blood before I knew. 
I was on life support probably for about 28 hours. I was in ICU for about three, four days, um, but recovered very quickly. Thank you. You look okay? No, I'm okay. I'm, I'm very, very good. good. You need to look at my Twitter feed. Um, there are lots of issues with uh, ADSL, cell phones, sure. and of course the call center. Yeah. Uh, what a great pleasure. Sipo Maseko, the 46-year-old. Not because of what he looks older, but just because he's achieved a lot in a relatively short period of time. You're not interested in going back to politics? No, no. I'm too old. You cured? I'm too old now. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Sipo Maseko, will he buy Celsi or will he not? That's the breaking news this evening. Celsi is up for sale. Will Telcom be in the wings to snap it up? I wonder, Sipo Maseko, Chief Executive of Telcom.